Welcome to the podcast where I invite you on a journey to explore meaning, vulnerability and purpose through the lens of a life lived in geekdom. I'm David Monteith and I am the Naked Geek. Welcome to The Naked Geek and once more thank you for joining me in the boudoir today. I am so very excited because I've got my best friend of many, 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 many years in the boudoir here to share his journey and part of the reason I'm excited to interview this guy is to kind of correct my perceived injustices of the world. This guy gave me a manuscript many years ago and I kind of groaned inwardly and then I read it and went, this is brilliant. And he'd, it, it was called Fallen Heroes and it was the first novel in his Unseen Shadows universe. And I absolutely loved it. The second book is out. The third book is still being worked on. Um, he went on to have it optioned for TV. There's a choose your own adventure, a computer game, an audio book. It was adapted for comics and he's had multiple comics um, kind of expand his world, which he's folded back into the canon of his universe and lots of short stories out there. Oh my word, it's so prolific and it's so huge. And he managed to get it into all the waterstones in the country on his own, without an agent, without any backup. But what he's achieved and the amount of people he's worked with and, and artists and writers he's had to coordinate and the publishing and all of that, it's unbelievable. I don't know anyone else who's done that amount of work, that breadth of work without getting sort of due reverence in the literary world. But Anyway, this podcast isn't about my perceived uh, lack of justice in the literary world. It's about celebrating Barry and his process and the things he's had to deal with as he's journeyed to keep his creative juices going and flowing. So without further ado, here's Barry. What's up, B? Oh, what's up? Oh, so we started now. All yeah, right. we started now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just come with a what's up be like, I'm just going to be like, oh, so we're wrote, so okay, so we're recording, everything's all sorted. Do you know what I mean? It is. <laughs> so yeah, this is this is how our relationship goes, man. Nothing but criticism. There's no, no positivity in this relationship. How, how long have we been friends? Uh, I was going to say, well, you see, there's, you, we, we've probably got different time frames on that score. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So there's two questions in that. When did we meet? Okay, so we met 1981. 1980, man. Was it 80? No, yes. It was 80. I'm September, getting confused. Uh, September 1980. Yes, I'm getting confused with when Raiders came out. Yeah, yeah, 19. <laughs> that's, that's like my benchmark for everything. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, so I liked you from the off, man. So what are you saying? Yeah, well, you know I didn't like you from the off. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know that. You, you know, know what I mean? <laughs> You know how beforehand I told you that this podcast is going to be about honesty and vulnerability. You yeah, didn't have to exactly. Lean in, didn't have to well, lean into I that thought, quite. You know so what I mean? I thought if it, I've got to support, I've got to support your new venture. So I thought the only way I could do that is to just to go like full on in <laughs> with some 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 deep some deep honesty, some deep seated honesty. So here you go. I was trying to think at what point did I decide that I I liked you, or, or you had to put up with me? Yeah, because I think there was quite a lot of putting up with, and then I think that kind of slid into he's all right, you know. Oh damn, <laughs> man! <laughs> <laughs> and I even think there probably was a, at a moment where I kind of paused in school, did that whole kind of look up like I'm the saint, expected to see a halo, and looked to go, he's all right, you know. 
<laughs> you probably done something annoying and walked off and I was, I'm out of custody but I didn't tell to myself yeah, he's alright <laughs> well man uh, yeah well thanks thanks for that you know the Naked Geek's all about honesty so there you thanks, go, man. thanks for that um, alright let's start with you Rob <laughs> let's talk about you <laughs> um, so one of the things I, I say in the description of this podcast or in the trailer of the podcast is that geekdom has been part of my life you know, it's been a constant companion, you know, depending on how you define that. But for you, how far back did it start? What's the geekiest thing you remember? What's the earliest memory of loving something that we class as geekdom now? You know, I think it probably was. I think my, you know, I always have an official answer. People ask me always go like, you know, Razor or Stark or something. But I think it was probably um, watching the old Republic serials. You know, the Flash Gordon ones. Oh, Flash Gordon and um, the other one. Uh, King of the Rocket Men. King of the Rocket Men. You know what I mean? Which is basically Rocketeer. Yeah. Saturday morning black and white stuff. Yeah, and they used to be on. I think the Flash Gordon ones used to kind of drop on BBC Two at five thirty. Um, I don't. While well, I remember Flash Gordon really clearly, I don't really remember the Buck Rogers ones. No, and in some ways, I think the Buck Rogers ones were kind of a bit more pulpy. Mm. Um, but it, these were the ones where they starred. I mean, both Buck Rogers and um, Flash Gordon starred uh, Larry Buster Crab, and I, I, I just loved them. I loved them. I love the noises I, the space station makes, man. I feel like yeah. it, was, it was just someone at a microphone going. <laughs> yeah. Every time and when they, they and when they fired and when they're like in the sort of air battle and they fired something, it was basically like someone throwing a sparkler at someone. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, but the, but take that you know take it on its face. Some of the designs and some especially the designs of the ships, I, I think to me still hold up today i mean do you think even back then you had an eye for the design of stuff i mean didn't you just get lost in the adventure or was there a real appreciation of of the minutiae of it i think i did, I, I think even like back then i think i was watching like flash gordon sort of before i i sort of put pen to paper um but i think even back then i i had the kind of eye and a sort of certainly an appreciation for like world building you know, like vast worlds, and I think probably, and I think that Flash Gordon series um, was a real exposure to that. Um, and I kind of think, and and obviously, I grew up in in the eighties. So you had a lot of that shows like Airwolf and stuff like that that was going on at the same time. Um, that was kind We're of graduating that to mark. the Saturday afternoon shows now. Yeah, yeah, but I, I still think for me, in terms of like like you say, where it where it kind of started for me, I think it was those sort of Flash Gordons. And I think there were other ones was like the Zora one as well um, that sort of did it. And at the same time, I was reading um, like my brother's hand-me-down Marvel comics. Was there um, any of those comics that stood out? I remember one where it was, it was a, it was, it was a comic series called The Defenders. And it's not the defenders as we know them from the Netflix show, although Nick, although Luke Cage was one of them. But in the actual comics, it was Hulk um, was in it, wasn't it? Yeah, Hulk, Valkyrie, Doctor Strange, Namor, and the cage. And there was another guy called Nighthawk. Um, and occasionally, 
Silver Surfer or Luke Cage would kind of pop in as like a special guest star for like a, a you know like a run like a story run. And th- there was one, this and it was called and it was a a kind of super super powered gang called the Wrecking Crew. Yeah. And there were two two sections, and basically they they met up with the defenders, and in classic comic style, the first time around they they beat down the defenders. And then they have like a sort of, you know, they had like a kind of round two. And the round two, there was two bits in that. One of them was the Hulk. And he was he was versing a guy, I think he was called Wrecking Ball or something like that. And basically he had a Wrecking Ball, giant Wrecking Ball. And he was beating down Hulk. And then what I love, back in them days, everything was everything was captures. It was all about the, the caption boxes. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And there's a bit where like, and Stan Lee used to talk to you through the captions as well yeah, so he yeah. used to break the full four and there's a bit where you you see hulk catch this wrecking ball and you get it's about four or five panels and as each panel goes he crushes you see him crush the wrecking ball and then you've got the comments from stan lee and it's going as every marvelite knows matter hulk gets the stronger he gets and he's very very mad and then he crushes it to nothing and then the, the final panel is uh the villain guy, Wrecking Ball or whatever, and he you just see him go, something. he says something like, sweet Lord, in really small <laughs> letters. And the next thing, he just, he just gets a right hook, man. <laughs> sweet Lord. And then, and then on the flip side, he had the physical and he had like a magical one. He had Doctor Strange versus the, their leader. And he, he it sounds really cheesy to say he, the leader had a magic crowbar. That was his Yeah, thing, yeah. It was. <laughs> but there's a bit where they're kind of, they both got their hands on the crowbar and um, the guy is pushing his power into Dot Strange. And he's pushed, and Dot Strange is on, is on his knees. He's like, "Yeah, you see, you can't beat me. Yeah, I'm more powerful than you." And then Dot Strange kind of gets up and pushes the power back into him. And the guy's like, "It's impossible. You can't do this. You, no one could do this. You're not human." And he just goes, "He said, I'm not human. I'm, I'm more than human. I'm Doctor Strange. The mystic arts are mine to command. You're like a child playing with a loaded weapon. Be thankful I did not kill you." <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right, all right. So I'm listening to your reaction. I'm listening to your reaction. If you could distill for me what it was about that encounter that 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 talked to you as Barry Nugent, the kid, and actually talks to you now because I can hear it in your voice. I think it was weird when you told me about the premise of this. I was thinking, like, I don't even know how I'm going to even be able to talk about certain things or whether or not I'll have things in my head. But as I said it, and you asked me the question straight away, it came into my head. And I think it's kind of, my answer runs the gamut through all my life and pretty much everything I've done creatively. And that is to, to just get back up. Mm. That you, you, ain't, you ain't done yet. Mm. You've still, still got fighting to do. You ain't done yet. And I think when I sort of go back through all of the stuff that I love, whether it's um, comics, whether it's books, whether it's computer games, whether it's films, TV, the the properties that I love most are the ones that really lean into that. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is probably why I did become such a big fan of Indiana Jones, because it was that. Because, and I would argue with people, do you know what I mean? Indiana Jones isn't a, Indiana Jones isn't a hero. Um, he certainly isn't a hero in Razor Lost Dark. Yeah. The, the the other two I could argue, but he's quite a dark character in Razor Lost Dark, you know. He's a mercenary, really. I was gonna say he's he's amoral rather than immoral. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
But what I loved about that character is that he just kept getting back up. No matter what he, no matter what, what hole he got himself dug into, he was like, well, better get a shovel. You know, he's just like, yeah. he, he was just, he was just, he was just forever getting back up. So, and I guess that's kind of, yeah, yeah. That, does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. And it, it, and I thought what was interesting is like, we talked about it being back then, but how it applies to the rest of your life. So moving forward, I know that for me, I always wondered what is it about the genre? What is it about science fiction fantasy that I love? Because no, none of my family or my friends really were into this kind of thing at all. Did you have any encouragement from that at home apart from David, your eldest brother or I mean, how do we find our way to love this stuff so much when none of our nurture is surrounded by that? Or was it was it something about, I don't know, for you being the youngest, I don't know, was there something about that? I think even though I grew up in a very, very busy household where you kind of had to shout to make yourself heard, you know, and it was a, it was a you know, uh, a great household to grow up with. Yes, you know, I, I got ribbed and there was the difficulties of being the youngest and stuff like that. And, and I think sometimes I might have, and and not very sporty, yeah, not yeah, putting it mildly, um, and and sometimes looking back on it, or not looking back is wrong way to put it. Maybe as times passed, I've kind of almost victimised myself more than I needed to. Do you get what I mean? Go. What What do you mean? As in, like, so for many many years, I'd kind of tell people, you know, like. I was the only geek in my house and, um, you know, there was an element of bullying is the wrong way to put it, but you know what my brothers were like, mm, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, but looking back, and I think as I went on, I think I kind of, it mushroomed and it became much more of a thing in my head than I think the, rea- I think the reality was far less than what I'd, what I'd um, made it out to be. In, right, in my own okay. um, in my own mind you know yeah, yeah, yeah. um and and, I've, and I, I don't think i realized that until probably after probably after my sort of probably after my dad died um by which time david had passed so it was like just me daniel norman and i think when i and we, we you know we have sort of we used to have sort of skype um video calls like once a month uh, or a couple of months and now it's kind of turned into um gaming sessions where we have like a gaming session sort of once a month everyone's on the ps4 but at the same time we that's how we catch up we catch up whilst playing the game and stuff like that but the more i talk to them about stuff like have you seen this have you seen that have you watched this marvel film blah, the more i realize that a lot of those influences certainly for marvel um came from my older my older brothers came from Danny, who was probably the one that I would have firmly put at the opposite end of the scale. Yeah, for real. Yeah. Do you know no, what I mean? Knowing Danny. You know, he never lost his love of Marvel. So when I told him I still had the Marvel comics, I've still got most of them that I'd got from the house or whatever. But he was proper chuffed, do you know what I mean? That yeah, that yeah. They, they were still there, you know. So while we're while we're there, favorite Marvel Marvel character, and has that changed in the last 30 years? Um Actually, I would forget, have forget Marvel character favorite favorite superhero character then favorite comics. Oh, oh no, I can't do that, man. All right, Marvel, Marvel, man, Marvel, Marvel. Because I think because I, I I don't think I have a favorite character overall. I suppose I suppose I don't mean favorite. I suppose I mean 
and one that's made the biggest mark on you? I think it was probably Doctor Strange. I think I think it was probably I think it was probably Doctor Strange. I just loved that kind of, you know, I, I loved the way he talked. I loved the he was just cool. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And he used to always sit cross-legged floating in the middle of the room drinking a cup of tea. And I just, I don't know. So I, I had, whilst he was reading the book. I liked so that. So how did the movies make you feel then? I think the casting was good. He looked the part. I personally don't think he was my Doctor Strange until we hit um, Infinity War. Because there's a bit, there's a bit in Infinity War where Thanos rocks up and Doctor Strange is just sitting down chilling. And... Um, Thanos says something to him like, oh, we come to set last. And he was like, well, it's brought you to me. You made a mistake because now you face the master of the mystic arts. And I almost stood up in the cinema. I was like, that's how you do Doctor Strange. <laughs> and then there's a, there's a bit where he kind of does some move where he kind of, it's almost like um, he opens up his arms and suddenly there's hundreds of him coming out of him. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was just like, oh, I would I, I would have got out of my chair. I, I was I was like, this is, this is Doctor Strange. Finally, this is how you do Doctor Strange. And weirdly, when he's popped up in other things, he's worked better than he did in the Doctor Strange film. Interesting. Really interesting. Um, but I feel I feel now they've got his measure, which has made me much more excited about... The multiverse of madness. Yeah. Because I kind of think when you watch the first Doctor Strange film, I, I sort of feel like they were almost too scared about how mm. far to push magic. And it was almost like magic was basically martial arts with a little bit of sparkly stuff. Yeah. And then they went you know? into um they went into magical Tony Stark area. Yes. Yeah. Yes, he just felt like a magic Tony Stark. Whereas mm. when we got to uh, Infinity War, he felt more like Doctor Strange. Yeah, yeah. He's, okay. He should be the smartest man in the room. Anyway, go. No, I just want to move on a little bit and talk about um so in your introduction, I talked about your writing. Uh so what what inspired you to put pen to paper? And actually, you were drawing before you were writing, weren't you? Yeah, well, yes, I was. Yeah, I was drawing before I was writing. Um, so for a long time, I... It's weird. For a long time, I always thought drawing was going to be my thing. Hmm. You know, I, I thought I was going to become a, a cartoonist, you know, um, you know, or whatever. I just called it a cartoonist. I didn't really make the differentiations we get now well it's interesting because way back then neither of us it was neither of us were really plugged into any extensive network of geekdom no because there wasn't any i didn't even know it existed but i remember when we first started going to cons people going ah do you remember that thing there and i was like what 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 thing was there a thing yeah (laughs) i didn't know but anyway yeah back to drawing and into yeah yeah so you know so originally yeah my first my first kind of foreign creativeness was was drawing and um i was quite happy doing that and then um i went to see rays of the lost dark i mean to i mean to sort of backtrack slightly i think where it started really was i was sitting i can remember it i was having breakfast mum had the radio on and the rays of the lost dark trailer came on on the radio but they'd done it like a cliffhanger mm. And it was like, will Indy escape from the pit of snakes? Will he find you a lost Ark of the Covenant? Find out when, you know, Ray's lost Ark hits screen. Which and is pure pulp sensibility. Pure, something, something just, I can't, it was like Big Bang. Something just went off in my head. That moment, something just went off. And I was like, I have to see this film. No, no, it was a, something went off then. And then you remember there was a show called Clapperboard back in the day? 
Yeah. Yeah. Wow. They did. And Clapperboard was a bit, it was like a, for people who don't know, it was like a film program. I'd forgotten um, about I, that. I don't know if it was for kids or not. I can't remember. But they did a kind of special look at Raiders. This is before I saw the film. I don't think I even really talked about it. It's a bit of it much. And I was sitting watching it on my own. And all I remember, there was a bit with Indian, with Indian Jones, a bit of Harrison Ford. And he was on, you know, that cargo ship, mm-hmm. called the, ben, the Bantu, Bantu Wind. Wind. Um, and he was practicing with the whip because basically any chance he got, he was practicing with the whip. And they'd done this sweeping kind of helicopter shot of him. And he had this big puffer jacket on. So he said, I don't know if it's because it was cold or to protect him. And he was swirling the whip around, like, lashing it. And I was just like, I've got to see this film. Got to see this film. And I begged, borrowed, you know what I mean? Bribed my brother Norman's tape because mum wouldn't let me go about it. And yeah, I went to see that film and it just blew my mind. Absolutely blew my what mind. What was your feeling straight after the rolling end credits roll? How are you feeling? I, it was kind of indescribable, really, because I knew something had changed. I just knew something had changed, and but I didn't know what, and I didn't know what to do about it. Um, and then that was when, like, I think Mum could just see that I was just anxious. I was running around that. Do you know what I mean? I was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was always, I was always a bit of a mouthy kid, always a bit of a ball of energy, anyway, but much more so than usual. And. Um, she had suggested I'm sure, and she had suggested that I write something. She just said just write something. I didn't realise that was your mum that set you on that path. Yeah. So I just I just want to give props to your mum because for someone who has got no interest in the genre, as uh most parents of most West Indian parents don't, <laughs> yeah. Um, she found a particular genre uh, accessible way to motivate you. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Depends on what you're. I don't know what you're thinking. Oh, well, I'm basically well, number one. Just, I think the fact that she set you off on the writing thing that's just kind of made me feel quite emotional. Um, but also what she used to say to you every time you left the house. Yeah, I thought that's what it was. Yeah. Um, yeah so mum, mum was a kind of you know, mum was mum was yeah mum was special. Mum was different, and I we had this thing where I, I honestly I don't know when it. I couldn't tell you when it started or why it started. Um, but what she actually used to say as well, she always used to say, because I'd have this real thing about when I left the house that I'd always have, a, always had to have a, my um, bag, Sat- yeah, my satchel. Was that was that um, an, was that an indie thing? No, it part that was because I'd actually um, pre indie. I don't know if it was pre indie or person, but I'd fallen off a bus, um, and I'd landed, and, and basically my head hit the satchel and if my head hadn't hit the satchel i certainly would have been off the hospital if not worse i didn't know um, that what yeah 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 okay yeah my head my head hit the satchel you know you know when you get in the um going to school you know you get in the yeah, whole and there's a little platform there's a yeah, yeah. platform that was open yes good old and days people used to wait and they could jump off it so it would get them closer to school yeah yeah and i was crowded in there and I basically got kind of half shoved. It wasn't a malicious thing. I just it was just people jockeying for position, and I kind of lost my foot, and then basically like face planted the floor off the bus. Um, but my head hit the what? satchel. Okay. Um, so after that, I've always I always had a satchel, and even today, 
even to this day, I always have a rucksack. I always carry a rucksack with me. And that's, and that's, that's why it's very rare you see me about some sort of rucksack or it's satchel. Like some, some, like some kind of origin story, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so because of that, mum always used to see me in the mornings, like, right, where's my satchel? Right, I've got to get my satchel, I'll get my satchel. And mum always say, look on him, look on him, ready to save the word, look on him. And um, I think from there, it kind of went to her asking me, like, where are you off to? Um, and me saying, I'm off to save the world. And she and she, she said that up until she passed. And I was in, what, my 30s? Um, and she passed away. Um, so, yeah, it, it became a real, it, I, I guess it kind of became a bit of an anthem for me in the back of my mind. Um, does that answer you? It does, it does. No, I, I, I love that. Um, I feel like I kind of forgot where I was getting in the first place, which was what made you set pen to paper and the difference. So so it was indie that sparked that that need to do something. Yes, yeah. And I think what happened after that was more things came along mm. so what i re it was almost like realizing what the feeling was so it's kind of like when you've not eaten all day and you get that kind of hunger in your stomach that you need to get some food in you it's a little bit like that's how my writing works and mm. that's why sometimes it takes me such a long time to write sometimes because sometimes i go through these awful um months years of imposter syndrome and just depression or whatever. either i see something i read something i listen to something and that i get that hunger at the pit in my stomach where i'm like i've got to write something like i've got no choice now it's it's almost like i don't know where they're swearing so i'm not gonna swear it's it's almost like um you know stuff imposter syndrome stuff your scared your fear about page you have got to get something down and uh, you cut out a little bit. So can you tell me again, what is it that gets you from that, that kind of bout of depression, imposter syndrome to the point where you can say, I've got to get up and keep going? It is, as, um, it, it, it is normally, like I said, it's it's normally when I've seen something or I've watched mm. something, some, some, some show or I've read some passage in a book or some line or something. And I'm like, I I've I've got to get I've got to get back on it. I've got to write something. How do you feel then? Because part of the reason I'm doing this whole podcast is because, and maybe it's because I get a little bit angry because I didn't expect it to still feel this way. But sometimes it still does. And you talk about your love of geek stuff and 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 things. People kind of roll their eyes. And you've just told me that it's kind of the geek stuff that that gets you up when you're down. Um, how do you feel about the way that people kind of still look at kind of geeky stuff at the moment? Um, you know, sometimes it kind of bothers me, but by and large, it doesn't anymore. And I think it's because I don't feel the same. I, I don't feel that same need to be accepted as I did when I was younger. Mm. You know, maybe some of it is an I'm in my 50s now, so maybe that's some of it. Um also, I don't feel that I need to share it with right. those people. Do you get what I mean? I know so many, I think, I'm, and obviously because of the podcast and stuff, um, I've come to know like hundreds, I you, guess. You've got of, your clan. Yeah, of, of geeks that I could discuss stuff with now. You know, I can go on Facebook. You know, If I see a trailer, I can go on there, you know. I mean, there, there will be times like, 
where I'm in Sue, bless her, my wife, you know, um, she loves watching the stuff that you, I watch. You forgot the words long suffering before the word. Yeah, long, yeah, well, yeah, she'd, she'd add that in if you were here. Um, <laughs> but I mean, she she loves all the kind of TV and stuff like that. She'll watch the Marvel films and stuff. But there's always a point where if I'm uh, if I'm discussing something where I've lost her. Okay, it's not just me then. No, where, where she's kind of like, I'm not interested anymore. <laughs> and like, and love, she'll say, I love Sue's honesty. <laughs> she'll just say, I'm not interested anymore. You'd, or, you know, you're just boring me now because you just, you, 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 you made it weird now. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, and that was the beauty of Geek Syndicate because I could have those conversations with you and then by extension with other people. I would say Geek Syndicate with podcasting in general. That's been the beauty of podcasting is because I can have those discussions to the nth degree with like-minded people mm. and that scratches that itch. So when I'm in work and people are maybe ragging on a geek or, I'm, or they might see my trainers or they might see something, go, oh, you want them geeks? I go, yeah, yeah, I am, yeah. And it just it rolls over me because I don't feel I don't need to justify why I'm into what I'm into. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk about another element of geekdom that a lot of people, and it's those people, ironically, it's the people that you know we don't feel that need to prove anything to. Um, but I think a lot of those people won't see this as a geeky stuff, but music. Mm-hmm. Music in a show, how does what does that do for you? Where does that take you? I mean, obviously, you, I know it's a podcast, so you already know the answer, but um, music for me is, I mean, I'd be lost without it. And we're not, we're not, we're not talking pop music here, are we? No, 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 uh, we're, we're talking, you know, movie soundtracks. In fact, today I've been listening to the um. Uh, musical score for the new He-Man um, and Master, Master, Master Universe, Universe cartoon by Goddard B. McCreary. Um, so no, I absolutely adore um, soundtracks of, of any kind. But, but primarily you know what? I, I think I realised pretty early on that I wasn't being moved just by what I was seeing on the screen mm. um, but also by the music that I was hearing and I definitely think Raiders hit that for me, um, as did Superman. Um, and then sort of, not not Star Wars first time around, but definitely when we went to see Star Wars Empire on that double bill, when it was, when Empire yeah, got yeah, released. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all the bits of Yoda, that, because I, I think this, I think what it was is when I saw Raiders, you had that real anthemic, dum, 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 and it's it's loud and it's brassy and whatever. But I wasn't really being hit by the choir stuff in the same way. Although the Well of the Souls is is amazing piece of music. But when we went to see Empire Strikes Back, and then you had Yoda's theme, and there's another one which is called Yoda and the Force, which is the, the, the bit where he's explained the Force to Luke, and then he levitates the X-wing. Um, that's when I realised that. I was like, oh, okay, this isn't the fast music. This is like a slower paced music, but this is doing... Oh, right. so, so it's not even, because I know for me, you know, you get to the end of Star Wars and and I can't help but salute. And every now, every time I hear that Star Wars theme, I, I want to salute, but you found your way to the smaller moments. For me, it's about, it's always about the, the smaller moments. What I find weirdly, 
as when I started off with like my love of music, it was the bigger stuff. So it, for Star Wars, it would have been the the main fanfare. But now, if you had to tell me like where some of my faves, it would be the quieter stuff, the Yoda's theme, um, Princess Leia's theme. Um, there's another. I think there's one where Obi Wan talks about the Force for the first time. You know, and there's a brilliant piece in the final battle. Um, where Luke is flying down the trench and the music is blaring and then it goes quiet and it and then the force film comes in and that's when Obi-Wan is telling him to kind of like use the force mm. and then it it lasts for a few seconds and it's and then the minute Luke is like right this is what I'm going to do it's, we're back to the and it's it's kicking it again, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And it's those, I love, what I love is transitions. I love that transitions from the quieter moments to like the big moments. Um, and so this, I mean, soundtracks and stuff, is this something you put on a playlist like like other i can say like normal people <laughs> like, like you know normal people would have whatever you know foo fighters or whatever they, i don't i'm not into the foo fighters but you know people might have a favorite band or whatever do you put on sort of geek soundtracks yeah yeah my my um i have a i have a notes from new spotify list um i also tend to have a playlist for the the book that i'm working on um okay. so like so when i was i mean when i was i still am working in it so the the current book i'm writing is set in the 80s so this was a bit of a departure for me because i i had um, a lot of pop music in there 80s pop music right, right. um as well as 80s genre films and tv mm. shows were in there just to kind of it wasn't just because i knew this world was going to be set in the 80s i needed to kind of immerse myself a bit in it as i was writing in it and i thought the best way to do that was music of its time mm. and certainly when i was a kid in the 80s i was i listened to a lot of kind of pop music and stuff like that so i knew the music that would kind of evoke the mood and i wanted to do that for the characters so so yeah so i, I tend to do that i have a kind of playlist for the, for the books okay. before we get on to what you're writing at the moment do you have a uh, a suggestion for people to go listen to soundtrack wise music wise wow that's... or or even okay let's let's do it another way uh what's i was going to say what's your favorite what what's your favorite but i was going to guess that was indie oh no. indie i don't necessarily know if i have a top favorite i mean indies pretty much up there because I, I i think i have favorite tracks as opposed to like favorite albums gotcha 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 you Go know on, give us a track then um someone, I mean, the said Raiders. To, someone said to you i haven't listened to any i don't i don't listen to music where should i start i mean sorry at the same time i'm just looking at my cat i'm hoping my cat's not about to be sick so if i suddenly if i suddenly disappear it's because i'm about uh, to run the cat you, upstairs i hear you um you can't you can't go wrong with the Raiders much. Yeah. But what I would say to people is make sure you get the proper Raiders much because there's a shorter version. You need to have the Raiders much, which has Marion's theme um, running in the middle of it. Um, because that's the one where you have... Um, and then it goes... That that's what I'm all about, man. 
that that, that transitioning. Right. <laughs> um also also the um the medal the medal march or medal ceremony room, I think it is. From Re- um from Star Wars. From Star Wars. Yeah, man. Just yeah. That's yeah. where I, I can't sit down. I have to start. I could be on my own or it could just be me and my wife and I'll be standing up saluting at that point. Mm. I, I, can't, I literally can't help it. Yeah. But That's, yeah. thirdly, I've got to say this, the Unbreakable soundtrack um, by James Newton Howard. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. As a whole soundtrack, that that's worthy. Cool. Um, so what are you working on now, writing wise, and what brought you to that place? So um, what I'm working on at the moment is a uh, middle grade fiction book. So this is will be aimed at eight to 12 year olds and it's called Trail of the Cursed Cobras. And it's kind of, I've kind of described it as Grange Hill meets Razor Lost Ark. So <laughs> if people don't know, you know, because obviously I know we have American listeners on GS, so obviously they may listen to this. So people that know Grange Hill was a uh, it, it was a kids drama series set in a comprehensive school back in the 80s. It did go on for quite a while. I think it, I don't know if it stopped in the 90s, maybe it might have gone to the 2000s. I don't know. Um, but certainly when we were watching it, it was it was back in the 80s. And yeah, it was set in a London uh, comprehensive school with the likes of Tucker Jenkins and Benny Green. Tucker Jenkins. Um, so you had so you what? got that. No, and wait, then... wait, wait. Sorry, I've just looked it up. It started in 1978. Yeah, I must be missing something because it says final episode day was 2008. Yeah, I thought it did go on for a while. Wow, that's mad. Yeah. Okay, and apparently the opening theme is called Chicken Man. I didn't know that. Didn't know that. <laughs> so yeah, so it was. It's basically a kind of a love letter to the eighties and the, the films and TV shows that I grew up with and stuff. And also, it's kind of I hate to use the term like autobiographical, um, but it kind of has. I guess it kind of has elements of my younger life and some of my friends' younger lives. And the main reason for that isn't because. I wanted to kind of do something autobiographical um, because it's not, I mean, it's, it is a straight up adventure story. Um, but it was because when I was first approached to write a piece of middle grade fiction, my first thought was, I don't know how to write middle grade fiction. And mm. I was all set to turn the idea completely down. And what Sue had said to me was, write what you know. She said, just write what you know, you know. And I thought about it and I thought, the only, you know, the only, kids that I, I remember was me being a kid and what it was like being a kid in the 80s and and, and I know that we'd got up to some hijinks. slightly different <laughs> hijinks which had a kind of tinge to the supernatural to them so I thought what if I took that and then kind of expanded it and rather than it being what amazes me is that that sentence is completely true yeah yeah um but making the supernatural in this in the actual book be real that mm. you know because some of the situations pretty much happened one one particular sequence pretty much happened almost word for word except for the fact there's a much more heavy supernatural element aimed at it yeah yeah you know so um so the answer oh in terms sorry you were asking that how i came to mm. 
yeah yeah basically i was i was approached by an agent um he had read some other stuff and wanted me to have a crack at writing middle grade fiction because um the main reason she had approached me was because she'd given me this crazy stat which had said like i don't know one percent of all children's authors are were, were um black men it's something something silly like that wow um or, or it might have been one percent was um sort of people of color like leading characters or whatever mm. um and that was that was her reasoning for her approaching me um but what, my go on i was gonna say what i'm more interested in actually is what is it so, so i mean given the themes that you're playing with it then what has it meant to you to be writing something like that has it been an easy journey an exciting journey or quite a meditative one where's that where's that taken you all three i think it's I've kind of run the gamut of emotions because it's very it's weird because I listened to a um an interview with my editor who's Dion and he kind of spoke about us briefly during his interview about our kind of working relationship on it um and he said he realized when he come coming into it for our first meeting after he'd read the book that how personal it was to me Mm. um and and this is the most personal thing i've ever written in many ways um because there are elements of my own sort of life upbringing in there and a lot of it is kind of centered around one one of the kids you know um he's he's lost his mum and but yet can still hear his mum's voice talking to yeah him. yeah and it, it, it's that the whole thing is whether or not is it is he imagining it or actually is it his mum and um obviously i'd lost my mum not at that age it was obviously many years later but it was something that i still do i actually you know we mum's very present in the house we often talk about mum in the house if something happens i go oh, that was mum or sue will say oh, that was your mum that was you know, normally if something bad's happened when I should have been doing something else. She's like, that's your bub, you know. Um, <laughs> so I, I think that was where the idea kind of sprung from. And then it kind of sort of moved out from there. So it's been, and, and it's been the most fun as well. It's been the most fun I've had writing because the last sort of two books, I've still got one book to do the trilogy, but have been, they've been fun, but the second book was quite dark. Um, maybe in some ways darker than I would have, probably had it but i think it was because i'd lost you know i'd lost two people mm. through as i was writing that book and, and fairly, um, fairly quickly in relation to yeah each other. yeah fairly yeah and i think that kind of sent me on a bit of a path and it comes out through, and i think it's something that neil gaiman says was kind of like you know if you're you know if you've lost a loved one or you, you're going through things blah 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 you know all you can do is is make art you know so yeah, yeah. I, I think that's kind of what's certainly spurred me on and i think this has been one of the books i've been working on where that's kind of not really been the case so i've been able to have a much lighter tone with everything and because it is middle grade yeah there's some darker elements to it but my tone's got to be lighter just because of the age group i'm trying to hit um and i, I don't know we'll, we'll see you know when it comes out I, I don't know if i've done that i don't know how kids are going to find it I don't know how parents are going to find it but i've i've had a blast with it Cool. Uh, so just to round round off, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, I've already read the 
was it the first draft I read? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and, and I am all oh now I might be slightly biased because there are things <laughs> I recognised in it, um, uh, but I just think this book is such a good. It's a good romp. Uh, but there's a real depth to it as well. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a huge fan of the book already. And I'm really looking forward to it getting out there. So I'll be telling people. Um, so to finish off, could you, I, I'm not really sure what I'm asking here, but it's something along the lines of, uh, could you sum up succinctly the role of geekdom in your life from childhood to, to adulthood to a man who's 50 plus years? I mean, is it possible to do that? Um, I think as Doctor Who has like two hearts, I guess if I had two hearts, I guess my second heart would be Geekdom. Damn. And, you know, <laughs> without, without, and I need, but I need both hearts to keep me going. Do you know what I mean? Because there are, because there are very much two sides to my personality. I even went through a phase where I did literally kind of pretend to myself that whenever I took my glasses off, I was different. Mm -hmm. um and it was weird because what i realized was and it sounds really stupid i didn't realize it until we started doing podcasts what i what i realized was like me without my glasses was the disguise and right. me with my glasses embracing my geekdom is that's that's the super powered version of me that's the superman that's the super, yeah, super yeah. Barry, you know um and a lot of people don't see other geeks do but a lot of people don't see that side of me a lot of people look at me and they don't see that side so they're completely shocked when they learn that i'm into these things or i do these things so um do you, yeah. do you think maturity has been the merging of those two hearts um yeah i think so yeah i, I think i i very much i embrace it much more now um and I realised there's a lot of strength in drawing on that that I didn't necessarily realise before. And I didn't even realise that it was geekdom by and large that was kind of like getting me through hard times. Obviously mm. other people and, you know, you get support and stuff, but it's in those quiet, desperate moments where you're on your own. It's, you know, it is that kind of, you know, what, what would what would Indy do? You know, he'd just get back up, you know, or or what would David Dunn do? And it, it's 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 those sorts of questions you kind of constantly ask yourself, I guess, as a as a geek going through emotional stuff. B, thanks for taking the time with us today. If you want more of the banter that you saw between me and Barry, then make sure to check out the Geek Syndicate podcast, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. You can um find me at the moment you can get all the information about what i do at unseenshadows.com i will be launching my very first um website which will be brownugent.com nice but um thanks for your your honesty and for sharing with us today b I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Barry. I mean, for me, it's I mean, the reason we started our podcast, The Geek Syndicate, 15 years ago was because we just enjoyed spending time with each other. We enjoyed chatting about the things that we loved together. It was a great opportunity to do that. And 
so for me, this is just more of the same, actually. But to actually not just talk about those things we love, but to explore what they really, really mean to us is a, it was a great opportunity. I really enjoyed it. And I hope you did, too. So in these epilogues, in these epilogues, I like to try and work out what it is that I got from this interview as, as uh, you know, the passage of time. I always give it a few, a little while. Um there's a couple of things. So Barry wrote this a few days after he said, and he put it on Facebook, you know, I've always believed every creative person has a special power all of their own. It's taken me over 50 years and being interviewed by David Monteith for his new podcast to realize what mine is. I get back up. Um, Number one, I just think that's that's brilliant. You know, there's a testament to resilience there. But more than that, for me, it's a huge win because this is what I want this podcast to be about. I do not believe in art for art's sake. I believe that everything you do has to serve humanity in some way. So what I want to get out of this, I want to leave this podcast enriched. I want my guests to leave enriched. I don't want them to feel like they've just come on and sold their product and left. I want them to feel like they've got something out of it. And I want the listener to as well. And the fact that Barry has got something out of it, that is what this is about. This is a big win for the Naked Geek as far as I'm concerned. That's what it's about. But then I had a number of thoughts as well as I contemplated this epilogue and I was trying to work out what they were. And as time has gone by, I, I hope it kind of correlates to what's gone before in this ent- interview, in this chat. It's not an interview, it's a chat. Um, but I think for me, uh, and I've now read uh, the, the trail of the Cursed Cobras and it's awesome it's so damn good it's some of his best work and you can see him maturing as a writer blatantly but one of the things in there one of the things i get from the chat we had was how barry has and now i know that he has struggled with the death that he's experienced and found them hard and they've kind of put him into certain places but you read this you read other things you listen to what he said and there's a certain ability he has found to be able to incorporate those deaths into his creativity. Now, granted, that may have taken leave of absence, but he's found another way in and he's incorporated into his characters, into his writing. It's become, it is part of who he is and he's allowed that to come out in what he does. And I think there's something beautiful and there's something healthy and, uh, as, as healthy as it is traumatic about that. And I have nothing but respect and admiration or honor for what he's done. So cheers for coming on B. It was a pleasure. Uh, and I hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, and I hope to see you, uh, I hope to hear you next week for, uh, the next episode of the naked geek in my boudoir. Um, I'm going to ask you one favor. And that favor is that if you would consider donating, then you'll find the link in the show notes. Um, because I'm really trying to make this podcast as accessible as it can be. And if I could get money to have someone to sort of do the transcripts, correct the transcripts, and even perhaps do a video version with a signer, that would be uh, brilliant. But none of those things come cheaply. So if you feel that you can uh, help towards that, then please, please, please do um, check out the uh, the link for my Kofi page in the show notes. So until next time, I'm David Monteith, The Naked Geek.